Your financial mission, should you choose to accept it, is to achieve financial clarity. New Intel suggests that bad financial actors are constantly filling the landscape with misinformation and other barriers and obstacles, leaving you with limited time to make the right choices for a successful financial future. To make things easier, we've chosen your team for you. Financial Commander Janine Theus will help lead you to success. As always, should you avoid the excellent guidance you're about to receive, you'll be disavowed. Also, this message will self-destruct in three seconds. Three, two, one. This is your financial mission. Thanks for joining us this week. Walter Storholt alongside Janine Theus, CEO and founder of Theus Wealth Advisors and your financial commander here on the show, serving you not only in Columbia, but throughout Howard County. If you're in the area, check us out online at TheusWealthAdvisors.com. That's TheusWealthAdvisors.com. This is the show for you if you want to make sure that you've got the right kind of financial plan in place and make sure that you're going to achieve your missions in your retirement years. Today, we're going to be talking about a great question that's been presented to us from Samantha. Samantha's mom has lost two husbands and now kind of feels paralyzed, even though she has plenty of money in retirement. So what can Samantha do to help her mom out? We'll talk a little bit about that question in detail a little bit later on. We're also going to discuss some of the things that you can't control in your retirement planning and some of the things that you can control and how they should dictate your decision making. All that and more straight ahead on today's episode, but first... Extra, extra, read all about it. It's time to see what's happening in the news. And Janine, we teased this last time around that we were going to be talking about Alan Greenspan, one of your favorites on today's program. (laughs) The former Fed chairman said that the U.S. economy is out of whack recently in the headlines and likely headed for a downturn. Do you agree? Well, again, that's the predictive power. Let me check my eight ball, (laughs) which says, you know, why guess? You know, these economists who become infamous, if you will, working with different administrations, they couch their words very well. Now, he thinks we're moving towards stagflation. And we're in the process of moving that, and it feels good, but it's a false dawn. In dawn is D A W N. Do they make a um, pill for that stag stagflation? <laughs> they, yeah, re- <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, and it's just interesting. He now, to his point, he thinks that these headwinds, you know, include the aging population, which is true. We have a very large aging population, huge government spending bill. But if we grow the economy, that kind of offsets the spending bill. But yes, Congress should get their spending and under control and higher interest rates. Well, if you were alive in early the early 80s, late 70s, you know what higher interest rates are. We're not going there. So, you know, yes, there's some balance back and forth with what the economy is doing and what the different legislation is providing. But I don't necessarily agree with him that it's out of whack. And just to illustrate why I think that, there was a recent study. They brought in 45 different economists, asked them a series of questions and predictions, and only one economist got the answer right. Hmm. So, you know, a lot of these guys are coming from different perspectives. and You'd think they were all on the same page, but no, because there's a lot of opining going on. And yes, they have experience, and they look at numbers, and it doesn't always pan out. I don't think... We're in for stagflation. Yes, interest rates might rise, but we've been in a declining bond rate, bond interest rate, since the late 80s. 
and 90s. So it's been a long, long, long time we've had low to no interest rates. Yeah. So everybody's gotten very used to that. So yes, when the interest rates rise a little bit, well, everybody would like more interest on their bonds, but you know that does translate to a little bit higher mortgage rate. Hmm. So you can't have one without the other. Yeah. So you know you have to look at what is connected and what actually impacts you and the way you spend. So to a degree. You know, yes, you can talk about all the, um, I mean, he wholeheartedly believes the corporate tax cut was good, et cetera, but it all is going to come down to what is Congress going to decide to do? Yeah. And, and so I don't, I don't agree that we're necessarily out of whack. I mean, when you look at the unemployment rate, I think it was yesterday, 3.8, the lowest in almost 20 years, that's pretty huge. So our economy is growing. I think it's going to continue to grow. It's a great, uh, I think, thing to talk about, certainly, the future of our economy and also realizing that what impacts the majority doesn't always have the exact same impact on us as individuals. That's a really important thing to to remember, you know, in different situations. I mean, I can just think of one example from when I bought my first home. The market downturn and the drop in housing prices was great for me. I was able to buy my home at the lowest interest rates in history and probably very low home values. And so this run-up that we've now seen in real estate is fantastic. If I went to sell my home now, it'd be for a great profit. But here's here's the problem. While I would realize probably a, a very nice gain and boost in the short term there, well, if I went and moved into another house, now I'd be buying it. Again, this is speculative, but I'd be buying at the top. So next time around, I might be selling at the bottom. So, yeah, so if there's a, a way to play that. You sell your house at a profit and rent for a couple of years, but you're still going to pay a high rent because depending on your area and supply and demand. Right. Yeah, you know? I can try and time it and rent for a little bit and then watch the market crumble again and then buy again. I guess you could play exactly. that game, but who wants to do that? So Who wants to do that? Exactly. Yeah. That, that's a whole other discussion for another day of treating your home you know, like an investment like that. That's in many ways, I think, unrealistic to try and time it in those ways, but uh, and probably right. pretty dangerous as well. I'm sure you would be on board with that thinking, but just goes yeah. to show you that what was bad for millions of people ended up being good for me, and you know, it can easily turn right back around the other direction. And there's lots of examples like that throughout the the market and the economy. So there you go. A little bit of taste of what's been happening in the news. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. Well, we've got a great question on the mailbag section of your financial mission today. And it comes to us from Samantha. This is a really intriguing one, Janine, and I'm, I'm sure this is one that you'll identify with. Uh, certainly, you've had other people kind of in this similar situation to Samantha's mom. Samantha says, my mother has accumulated about $4 million in savings. She's lived frugally her whole life and saved a lot of her own money. She also got a nice bump in savings after the passing of two different husbands. She's still spry enough to get out and enjoy some of that money, but she's also very nervous about losing it or even wasting it. Would meeting with a financial advisor help her feel a little bit better about enjoying herself? And can we do something to empower her? This is a really tough one because you're dealing with, a, I would say, a bit of a scarcity mindset. If you're used to being frugal all your life and there's this pot of money And this is very common that people are so used to it being in accumulation mode that they are saving with, you get into retirement or you get into a situation like this and you don't change that habit. So it is very hard to let go and say, 
I saved all this money, it's for me to use, then I should start to use it. Most people don't know how to do that. So that's, you know, getting people to think differently about their money. And really, what's the purpose of the money? I ask that question a lot to people because tell me what the true purpose for the money is. If it's for your enjoyment, your livelihood, then let's figure out how to get the most out of it. And that's very difficult for somebody who's been in this situation where she's lost two husbands. The other part of that question that I would ask Samantha is, how much of the money that came with the husband, especially the second husband, is actually hers? Because a lot of women don't delve into, did, did he leave something in a will that maybe some of that money should go to his kids? So, you know, there are other questions that need to be asked, but certainly getting her to understand it's okay to spend some money and enjoy life while she can, especially if she's in her 70s and maybe early 80s, then that definitely would help her to meet with somebody that can actually talk with her about just her attitude towards money. I always go back to that great example here of how it's not just about, okay, what's the best return I can get on this money and how financial planning is really about so much more. It really is. I, I mean, I, I did have some folks come in that were very proud of, you know, how frugal they'd been. She, you know, they've been raised to be very, very frugal. And he's giving me the numbers of what they're bringing in every year and what they're living on. And it was incredibly frugal for this area. And, you know, I commended them. Then he shows me a piece of paper that has a very large sum of it, close to not quite four million, but it was up there. And I said, so what's this money for? And I asked him probably six times, what is your true purpose for this money? And they have one child who's married and on the West Coast, and they couldn't answer me. Hmm. So it's not like I'm demanding an answer, but <laughs> the whole point is to get people to think about what is money to you and why are you almost hoarding this money? You did a great job of saving, but now it's time for you, you know, they're in their mid-60s. It's time to live a little. Yeah, don't know? don't or, be afraid to put that money to use in some way, shape, right. or form. Or, or figure out if you, if you have some charitable intent or, you know, what legacy do you want to leave? Right. Yeah. Using you know. it on you doesn't mean, oh, okay, I'm just going to go buy, uh, you know, I've got $2 million, so I'm going to buy a $2 million boat. There, I spent money on myself. It doesn't mean that, but it doesn't have to be even a self-indulgent thing if you're you're hesitant to fall into that into that realm, you know, yeah, it, the charity angle or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, helping others around you or putting together funds to help different things, empowering other people. Maybe it's not about empowering yourself. Yeah, exactly. And so, and the other thing I would caution folks, you know, Samantha about is make sure you're meeting with a holistic planner. You, know, you have her meet with a holistic planner because the last thing she needs to meet with is a salesperson who's going to say, oh, you're, you're 72, you need an annuity, or you need this, or you need that. She might not need that at all. She needs to understand her relationship to the money and what it can do for her or whoever she cares about. That's an important way to think about it as well. Uh, so many different angles you can kind of approach that topic in conversation. Good question, Samantha. Thank you for submitting that one. And don't forget, you can always submit your questions online at theuswealthadvisors.com, and we might feature it on a future show. Well, the uh, things we're going to talk about on today's program, the things that you can't control, and that might lead us to some of the things that you can control as well. But in retirement planning, you'll find that there are a lot of things, a lot of factors that you just don't have a, a good grasp on. And it's not your fault. It's because you just can't control it yourself. Fortunately, the things that you can control allow you to deal with some of those things that are often not within your reach. Uh, one example here, Janine, to get us started would be that you can't control what happens in the market. 
We talked about earlier in today about it might go up, it might go down later this year. We can kind of guess, but we really can't control those larger moves. But we can control how much risk we expose ourselves to. Exactly right. So nobody knows the price of a stock. Nobody knows the price of a fund. Nobody really has control over their investments other than you choose to put them in something. For instance, one of the more common conversations I have with folks is on mutual funds. When you buy retail mutual funds, a lot of folks think I have control over this. And actually you don't, it's the money managers who control the mutual fund that have control over that. You have no control over turnover, you have no control over expenses or any of that, or where the market goes. So risk is the one thing you can control, but you need to understand what the risk is and what your loss tolerance is. So what does all that mean to you? And how are you able to formulate, then understand that conceptually, what does that mean for your portfolio? And that you can control, but all this other stuff, it's not worth worrying about. The market's gonna do what the market's gonna do. So rather than try to chase some ethereal return that you'd love to have, we'd all love to have, because everybody wants that, you know, market risk rate, which is 10, 11% at a bond risk, which is two or 3%, that doesn't exist. But I can control how much risk I put in my portfolio by the way it's allocated. Yep. And that, that takes a conversation. Something else that you can't control, at least for the most part, is how long you're going to live. But you can control how much emphasis you put on creating lifetime income streams to mitigate the unknown that comes along with how long we're going to live. You're absolutely right. Nobody can control how long they're going to live. In fact, that's a question I ask a lot of folks. <laughs> if you tell me when you're going to die, we can work out these numbers really well, or pretty reasonably accurately. It's a good conversation um, starter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can control how much emphasis you put on your income stream by controlling the withdrawal rate. And that takes a conversation in terms of what do you need to pay your bills? So what is fixed and what is discretionary? And then have you built in inflation or have you built in taxes? Those are things you can plan for and you can control your spending rate so that you don't outspend your money, if you will. Your withdrawal rate is not so high that you drain a portfolio. Those things you can control for the most part. But that takes a, li a little bit longer conversation. Yep, all part of the process, I think. But income streams obviously being a, a common retirement planning conversation, but often it goes to control the fact that we don't know how long we're going to live, and therefore you can structure those in different ways to eliminate a little bit of that risk. We right. always have to bring the conversation back to taxes at some point, Janine, and you can't control what tax rates are going to look like in the future unless you're you know, really high up in government, I guess maybe you would technically have a little bit of control over that. But you can control how much of your wealth you leave in places that will be exposed to that tax. Well, there are a couple of ideas. Don't let the tax tail wag the dog, because hmm. taxes are not going away anytime soon. So the, to the degree that you can plan for taxes, how do you plan for them? And if you're going to mitigate the tax bite, then what taxable boxes or non-taxable boxes or tax-deferred boxes do you have your money in? Because if all of your money is in 401ks, IRAs, qualified plans, you're going to have a big tax bite at some point in the future. And then if you're planning to leave any money to anyone, what strategies exist to be able to do that effectively or in a more tax-efficient manner? And those are the things you can control by examining strategies. And conversations because as we you know just the current tax reform that went into effect in 2018 some of those features are going to expire in 2025 unless congress changes things again 
we don't have any control over that necessarily in our individual lives other than we can play the game, if you will, of which tax box I have my money in. And last but not least, Janine, is this question of Social Security. And we definitely can't control what's going to happen with Social Security, at least on an individual basis. But we can control how heavily we're relying on things like Social Security. That's exactly right. And what a lot of folks are not aware of, or it, and if you really stop to think about it for a little bit, you would it would make sense to you. The larger your income over the index wage base, which this year I believe is $127,000, you know, the larger your income, the smaller portion of that income is replaced by Social Security. So, you know, all of the studies on this, it just makes sense. If you have a, a $50,000 income, then Social Security is going to be a bigger part of that replacement. The control issue is we can't control what's going to happen with Social Security, and because that's up to Congress to decide those rules. But you can control where the income comes from that's either going to augment Social Security. And that's something you need to really plan for. And I have had people come in that say, I'm not planning on Social Security at all. And that's a good plan, you know, because Social Security is kind of a nice adjunct it's a guaranteed adjunct, but you know, in some years in the future, if there's a problem, Congress may opt to, they will grandfather everybody in who's within a certain you know, age bracket, and then they're going to say to everybody who's younger, okay, we're going to pay you out at X amount, depending on what's happening with the trust fund. So we don't have any control over that other than we can control what income we're going to be using as an adjunct to Social Security. And again, Social Security was never meant to be a retirement strategy. But it's become that. Yeah. So if we can't control Social Security and the answer is to not plan on utilizing it, if we can't control tax rates, but the answer really to that one is to, okay, well, don't put it in areas that are taxable and we can't control how long we're going to live, but we can build these income streams. How does all this fit together in a financial plan that you put together for someone? Well, you really have to look at developing portfolio strategies that, again, mitigate risk capture the whole market, a globally diversified market, because returns are going to happen usually in unlikely places or places you hadn't planned on. So you want to be able to capture those returns because that provides for a greater income over a longer period of time. So you have to look at that, whether you're in accumulation mode or now getting into retirement mode, because that is going to be critical to the income replacement that happens when you're in retirement. All these other things affect that income. And so it is really important that you get the portfolio strategies right. Because if you live 30 years in retirement, that's a long time to be depending on a portfolio that you're speculating and gambling with, because it's not going to work. All the data shows that. So yes, the things that you can control are how you choose to address risk, how you choose to address portfolio construction, and then you know, how you spend and your withdrawal rate. It's all important to consider. Absolutely, Janine. And uh, if you need help with your own financial plan, putting these things together, Janine is always there for you. If you're a current client, you know the deal. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you on the next Your Financial Mission. If you are new to the podcast or haven't worked with Janine yet, but you've maybe been listening to a couple of episodes and been thinking, all right, let me see what it's like to work with you. What would our relationship be like? How am I going to be in a better position financially? Well, Janine could take a look at your financial situation 
situation and start that conversation with you. You can call and set up that time to meet by dialing 443-718-6311. That's 443-718-6311 to reach Janine and the team at Theus Wealth Advisors. Or you can go to the website, theuswealthadvisors.com. That's theuswealthadvisors.com. You can also get one of Janine's Retirement Rescue Toolkits. This is a toolkit packed with fantastic information, a book, an audio CD, DVD, special reports, and some other goodies inside there as well. We will put a link to that toolkit inside the description of today's show. So just look at the description of today's show, and you'll see the link to that toolkit that Janine offers you. A great resource that you can get, and here's the best part. It's absolutely free. So get your Retirement Rescue Toolkit by clicking on the link in today's episode, or you can get it through Janine's website as well, theuswealthadvisors.com. Janine, thanks as always for the help, and we'll talk to you again next time. Thanks so much, Walter. Looking forward to it. There's the straight skinny on your financial plan. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. For Janine, I'm Walter. This is Your Financial Mission. Your Financial Mission.